Good morning. Our scripture reading today is Matthew 5, 43 through 48. And your, um, the Bible in the pew there, it would be page 684. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to begin with a responsive reading. If you will look for the litany of peace and justice, along with the prayer of St. Francis, we have fused these together. The litany of peace and justice is unfamiliar to the Baptist tradition, but it is not unfamiliar to some other denominational traditions that, that uh, frequently will do this as a responsive reading. And so we've kind of combined that with um, the prayer of St. Francis that most of us are familiar with. And what I want us to do is, is really listen to these words as we say them, because it really offers us a foundational framework through which we look at this very, very difficult subject of loving your enemy. So if you would, let's stand for just a moment and read responsively. Lord, there are so many people in pain. When people around us don't agree and think differently, when we see people getting hurt, When we see people who are hungry and poor. When we see people treated poorly because of their skin color or language. When we see pain. When we feel low and things don't seem to be going well. When we stop and see all you have given us in our lives, our neighborhoods, and the world, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is darkness, light. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. You may be seated. I find myself needing to read pieces like that as I jump into a difficult subject like this. Uh, last week, we talked about rising above my enemies. It was Psalm 27 where it says that even when we are encircled by 
enemies at our encampment. He will take us and set us high on a rock, and his tabernacle is there, and God tabernacles with us. So because of that, we need not fear or despair whatever enemies there are whom we face or what we face out there. He can set us high on a rock. We see the forest before the trees. And from an eternal perspective, we realize that all will be well no matter what. We really take Romans eight twenty-eight to heart. And that's good to know, but I'll be really honest. (laughs) Weeks, months ago, as I was planning the preaching for last week, which was, it was an appropriate Veterans Sunday, talking about rising above our enemies, I could not shake this problem of loving your enemies as well. Loving them. He still wants us to love them, even as we rise above them. And that might be the greatest moral challenge that we find here in Scripture. Indeed, John Chrysostom the golden-tongued preacher of the fourth century who is known far and wide as the greatest preacher of the first four centuries of the church said that this passage about loving your enemies is the single highest call of Christian self-discipline. And I think he's right. Loving even your enemies. It's a teaching that really has been both admired and ridiculed through the ages. Some people just think it's amazing and really speaks to Jesus and his divine love. Some people say, love your enemies. Huh, well, he doesn't work where I work, you know, that kind of thing. Now, it's important, first of all, to see how Jesus leads up to this teaching. The prior verses there in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 have to do with what? Turning the other cheek. I know we've talked about this passage a lot, but we need to revisit it. And bottom line, you know that in that passage, Jesus is not condemning self-defense. In fact, nowhere in Scripture is self-defense condemned. What is being condemned there is not being bullied, but being baited into something. You remember, Jesus says, if someone uh, hits you, strikes you on the right cheek, we're talking about a backhanded slap, not a closed fist, because that was a way of demeaning someone, of disparaging someone, and really trying to invite them into a fight, into an altercation. And what Jesus is saying is, do everything you can not to lower yourself to that level. You need to do everything you can to turn and walk away. Sure enough, I mean, if you need to defend yourself, okay. But otherwise, don't lower yourself to that level. Have any of y'all seen the movie 42 about Jackie Robinson? It's, it's a well-made movie, and you have Harrison Ford playing Branch Rickey, who is that very well-known Major League team executive who really wanted to break the color barrier in baseball. And so he finds Jackie Robinson, who's this amazing athlete playing in the American Negro League. And he, you know, from a distance invites him to come and and be a part of his team. Well, it's already a challenge for Jackie Robinson. He is already experiencing racist remarks, just unrelenting, you know, barbs, unrelenting racism, both on the field and off the field. So by the time they meet for the first time, You know, he's already faced all these challenges, but what's interesting, and this is historically true, both of them were Christians, Branch Rickey and Jackie Robinson. And so when they met, they had an interesting uh, exchange that's depicted in the film 42. And Branch Rickey comes along and meets him, and this is what Jackie Robinson first asks him. He says, Mr. Rickey, are you telling me you want a player who doesn't have the guts to fight back? To which Branch Rickey replied, no, no, I want a player who has the guts not to fight back. Jackie, your enemy will be out in force, and you cannot meet him on his own low ground. Like our Savior, he told him, you've got to have the guts to turn the other cheek. Can you do that, Jackie? And there's this long pause, and you can tell that the wheels are just turning with Jackie Robinson. And finally, he says, Mr. Ricky, you give me a uniform, you give me a number on my back, and I will give you the guts. 
So you and I are called to put on a different uniform. And, and, and we're, called to put, we're called to be numbered, in a sense, as Christ followers. And, and we are, too, as Paul says in, in one of his letters, to clothe ourselves in love and in kindness. And when you think about our having to do that, especially at times when we are facing enemies, that takes guts. It takes guts. And we respond to our enemies with Jesus' primary weapon, which was what? Love. Unconditional love. Now, do we appreciate and understand what a radical notion that was in Jesus' day in the first century and how that really turned things upside down? I want us to look at a brief history of how people responded to their enemies. Don't, don't worry, it's like a two-minute history lesson. And it's not something that I outlined. It's actually outlined by Clarence Jordan. If you've heard of the founder of Koinonia Farm uh, over in uh, Georgia, he really is the reason that Habitat for Humanity got started. He was also a brilliant biblical scholar. But he helps walks us, walk us through this. First of all, you have the pre-Mosaic phase, pre-Moses. Go ahead, Will. First of all, how did you respond to your enemies, especially if they threatened you, if they did something to you? It was the law of unlimited retaliation. If somebody poked one of your eyes, you tried to poke both of his out if you could get to him. Somebody knocked out one of your teeth, try to knock out all of theirs if you could get to him. It was this unbridled, aggressive response. That was the unwritten law of the day, unlimited retaliation. Now, fast forward, you get to Moses, and the law comes along, and it's modified a bit. Put the next one up there. Limited retaliation. And, and Jesus even refers to this in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, an eye, what is it? An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Again, tit for tat, you know, punishment fitting the crime, evening it all out. Proportional response, as they say today. Okay, and that's what it said in the Old Testament. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now, by the time you get to the first century, though, even that law had been perverted in a sense. You know, in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, it says, love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19, 18. And Jesus obviously highlighted that, that commandment himself and really made much of it. He really kind of took an obscure passage and just elevated it in a significant way. But along the way, a lot of the Jewish leaders had, in a sense, convoluted that law. In fact, what they said was, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Go to the next one. We could call it limited love. It's Spurgeon, the great preacher, said this, is what, this was a parasite that had grown up around this royal passage of loving your neighbor as yourself. It, you know, because Jesus comes along and says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor hate your enemy. Now, is that anywhere in the Old Testament? Did Moses say it? No. Did the prophets say it? No. Is it any of the, in any of the historical writings? No. It's not in the Old Testament. It is a saying, to be honest, that rabbis use to rationalize the limitation of their love and, and be able to hate non-Jews, Gentiles. It was really used to justify the limitation of one's love against people who were perceived as enemy. Love the Jew, hate the Gentile. That's why back then an Orthodox Jew, if he saw a woman who was struggling with childbirth, he could not help her lest he help bring another Gentile into the world. It was just understood. Rabbis said in Jesus' day in the first century that God kept creating Gentiles for one purpose, which was to fuel the fires of hell. It's a common saying. So you can sense the animosity there, the, the adversarial sense there. I mean, strong sense of, of enemy toward the goyim, the, 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 the Gentiles. Jesus comes along and messes everything up. 
Now, don't get there yet. Don't get there. I want to see if you all would. Okay, just look at this evolution. It began with unlimited retaliation, moves to limited retaliation, and then it gets perverted a bit with limited love where you love your neighbor but hate your enemy. In other words, if, if your neighbor knocks your tooth out, forgive him. But if it's a non-Jew, if it's your non-neighbor, your enemy, give him the works. Okay, limited love. Jesus comes along and messes everything up because Jesus comes along, and, and let, let me just ask you, what do you think Jesus' MO was? Can you help me with it? What? You got it. Unlimited love. Unlimited, unconditional love no matter what. You have heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I say to you, and what does he say? Love your enemies? Pray for those who persecute you? Love, you know, not just love your neighbor as yourself, but love your enemy too. And, and, And let's just break it down. It doesn't have to be an Islamic terrorist for you or a serial killer or a drug warlord. I mean, for you, in a more personal way, indeed, it's a coworker, or it's a former boyfriend, girlfriend. It's it's a you know a, a spouse, a, a family member who's been unkind to you. It's somebody who betrayed you in some way. Somebody who's talked behind your back. Somebody who cheated and got something that you were coveting. Whatever it might be, you can fill in the blank. And you might not think of that person as an Islamic terrorist, but nevertheless, you are in an adversarial position against that person, at least by your own making. And yet we're called to love that person. And Jesus says, don't, don't just love them, but pray for them. <laughs> pray for your, how often have you done that? How often have I done that? I mean, and again, this is not a suggestion. This is a command by Jesus to pray for our enemies. And how do, how do you pray for an enemy anyway? anyway I, I laughed at a YouTube video I saw. Has anybody heard of this group called Jaron and the Long Road to Love? Anybody heard of that group? Okay, there's, okay, so, oh, God, of course, these college students, okay. Well, and you know what it's about. It's about a guy who is jilted, he's dumped by his girlfriend, okay? And uh, this guy goes to church the next Sunday, and he hears the preacher say, love your enemies and pray for them, pray for your enemies. And so he said, I decided to do just that. Well, I've got the chorus here, because he, he sings about how he went and heard the preacher said, well, I should do that, I should pray pray for my enemies and so he prays for his ex-girlfriend i'm just going to read the chorus i pray your brakes go out running down a hill i pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill i pray your birthday comes and nobody calls i pray you're flying high when your engine stalls i pray all your dreams never come true just know wherever you are honey i do pray for you and that's something Jesus commands us, though, to pray for them out of sincere love. You will their well-being. My father used to define love as willing the well-being of the other. I think that's as good a definition of love, which is hard to define. Willing the well-being of the other. And that's what we are called to do. And when you really look at it where he says, love your enemies right there. The word in the Greek is agapete. Now, it's from that word agape. I know you know that. It means unconditional love. But agapete is in the present continuous form. It, 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 it connotes present action and continuous action. You continue to love and pray for your enemies. And what gets weirder is he says you don't just you know, love them by word and in your spirit. And by praying for them, you do it by your deeds as well. Now, there's a companion sermon you probably are familiar with in Luke chapter 6. It's the Sermon on the Plain. You know, he preached a lot of the content of the Sermon on the Mount at least one other time, and this is called the Sermon on the Plain. 
And when he gets to the section on loving your enemies, he gets even a little more explicit. He says, but I tell you who hear me. This is Luke 6, beginning at verse 27. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Earlier translations say, love your enemy in word and in deed. Okay, do good to those who hate you. Bless, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Are you kidding me? Now, that's just too much. You know, I, I can maybe love them from afar, but when it gets down to it with my enemies, you know what sounds good, reciprocity? And yet that is not what Jesus calls us to do. We're called to, we're called to pray for them, bless them, even do good for them. Doesn't that, let's just cut through it, doesn't that show weakness, really? Fred Craddock, wonderful New Testament scholar and preacher, talks about when he was at Phillips University in Oklahoma where he used to teach. And he was teaching a basic course on the teachings of Jesus. And he said things were going along fine until he got to this passage in Luke chapter 6 and in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, about loving your enemies. And he just began to, all he did was read it. He didn't even get to the part of teaching. He just read it. He read the part about loving them and doing good for them, for your enemies. And a young woman in the back of the class just stood up and started slamming her books on the desk and then got her bag and started throwing them in there and kept slamming the bag now on the desk and zipped it up real loud and she just started muttering to herself Jesus and the losers I hate Jesus and the losers I can't stand this and she stuffed her bag with one more book zipped it up again and just went storming out of the room and she he he heard her say as she went out Jesus and a bunch of losers forgiving their enemies I can't take it anymore well it is hard to take for us sometimes It's hard for us to receive these words and act upon them, but again, these are not suggestions. We are commanded to do it. And let me tell you, it takes strength. It takes more strength to do that, and I think Jesus knows that. And I think part of why it takes strength is because it seems to go against our human nature, doesn't it? But let me me add this. Yes, it might go against our human nature, but you know what? If you're a confessing believer in Jesus, go back to the very beginning, to the creation story, because we learned that we are created in God's image and we are his image bearers. That means that we have the capacity to, to, to work our way into living out this image that he has given to us. In other words, we have the capacity to do this. It's not easy, but we have the spiritual nature to do it. I love the way that it's paraphrased in the message of this Matthew 5 passage. He says, I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. And listen, for then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. Good paraphrase. You're living out of your image-bearing selves. Again, do we really believe that once we become a believer, you know, we had someone, we had Jack this morning was baptized. You know, when he became a confessing believer, the Holy Spirit entered his heart. I mean, if you're, if you're an Orthodox Christian and you believe this stuff, you believe that the Holy Spirit becomes, that you become the Holy Spirit's address. That the Spirit resides in you. And, and you're already an image bearer, but that just bears it up all the more. So therefore, you do have the capacity to do this. And, and to be honest, Jesus at the end of this passage says, so grow up and do it. I mean, look at verse 48. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, is he saying we have the capacity to actually be perfect, spotless? Absolutely not. That's not what he's saying. The word there, telos, really means complete, 
F.F. Uh, F. Bruce says it means all-encompassing. It can really mean mature. And what's he talking about? Be perfect with what? Be perfect in your love for all people. Just, just what he's been talking about. Loving everyone. Having a love without boundaries. Be perfect, complete, all-encompassing in your love. And again, the word can really mean be mature, which is why I like, again, the message paraphrase here. It, it goes like this. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. I like that. What I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects now live like it. And then he says this, live out your God-created identity. What, what Jesus is saying is, if you're my follower, you have my spirit in you, and you can do this. Now grow up and do it. I hate it when he says that, but that's what he's saying. And it's not easy. But I can't help but think of Jesus on the cross. Do you think Jesus liked the people who nailed him to the cross? I mean, I can't say for sure. I mean, I'm only conjecturing, but do you think he, he liked them? Do you think he liked the people who jeered at him? I know he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, but did he have a warm, fuzzy sentiment for them? I can't help but wonder that, but you know what he did do was that he willed to love them without question, and he willed to love them unconditionally and purely in a way that you and I have got to strive for. If he could do it, so can we, or at least we can strive to be the image bearers he has created us to be. Now, I didn't want to go here this morning. This was months ago when I was planning this thing. I thought, oh man, because it was around the time of the Boston bombing, the Boston Marathon bombing. And, and show that first picture, Will, if you would. Some of y'all might know where I'm going with this now. This is a Muslim cemetery in Virginia. I think there's one more picture. Just another picture of that cemetery. This was the cemetery where Tamalin Sarnayev was buried. You remember he was the older of the two brothers involved in the Boston Marathon bombing. He was the one who died in the big street shootout. Was not the one who was captured later, but he's the one who was shot earlier. And no, and I, you, you probably remember this, no cemetery was willing to allow Tamerlan's body to be buried. And there was widespread protest. And on an emotional level, I've got to tell you, I understood. <laughs> I understood that. And no one was wanting his body in their town. And then this woman named Martha Mullen messed things up. And Martha, who's a confessing Christian, felt convicted to respond to this. She began researching and contacting different funeral services and located a Muslim cemetery here in Doswell, Virginia. That's fine. Well, thank you. And she found this cemetery that would accept Tamerlan's body. And she's a total stranger to the Cernayev family, and yet she does this. And someone went to interview her, the first person who went to interview her, and of course they asked her, why are you doing this? Because you're putting yourself at risk to angry protests, to threats. Why are you doing this? And she seemed incredibly sincere when I watched her, and, she, and, and, I, and I got the quote. She said, well, I thought of Jesus' words, love your enemies, and Jesus tells us to love your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor is not just someone who you get along with, but someone who is alien to you, whom it would be easier to hate. If I'm going to live my faith, then I'm going to do what's uncomfortable and not necessarily what's comfortable. I feel like it was the right thing, and it's important to be true to the principles of your faith. Where, where do you stand with that? 
I'm going to be real honest. I, I struggle with this. I have struggled with it from the time I thought, oh, and honest, it was one of those, me and God, it was like, God, I don't want to use that. Please just tell me to f- help me find something else. And he didn't. And uh, I just knew I was supposed to share that. And I think it's because I've got to confess to you, I, I struggle with that, you know, and, and I don't know if I could have done what she did, but it does haunt me, and I think in a good way, I mean, it begs the question, wasn't she being a witness to Jesus Christ, loving her enemy? And, and you might struggle with this too, and I'm with you, but you know what? We're all with Jesus, <laughs> and we claim to follow him. I, I would offer this up. At the least, I would, invite, I would invite us to consider less and muse on less whether she went too far and consider more whether we can go at least much further in loving our enemies in this world and blessing them and praying for them. I thank God for that story and for Martha Mullen because she's haunting me with that. And if nothing else, it's challenging me to have a love with no boundaries. And it reminded me of an ancient parable I read recently because I think, gosh, how do you do that, especially with the enemies who, who don't seem to change? And you, Are you supposed to keep loving them even if they won't change, whether it's an Islamic terrorist or that person who lives down your street, that person you work with, that family member who is so hard to love? And you might not dub them an enemy, but, but they are in an adversarial position with you. And you, Somebody's coming to mind for you right now, I'm sure. And what if they don't change? What if it even seems like it's in their nature? And let me just read this parable. A holy man was engaged in his morning prayers under a tree whose roots stretched out over the river bank. During prayer time, he noticed that the river was rising and a scorpion caught, was caught in the roots and was about to drown. So he crawled out onto the roots and reached down to free the scorpion. But every time he did so, the scorpion struck back at him. An observer came along and said to the holy man, don't you know that's a scorpion? And it's in the nature of a scorpion to want to sting? To which the holy man replied, that may well be, but it is my nature to save. And I must not, and must I change my nature because the scorpion does not change its nature? Hmm. You know, regardless of whether someone stops being our enemy, stops being in an adversarial position to us, still we are called to love them, indeed pray for them, and indeed hope that they are saved and rescued. Can we do that? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We saw that symbolized in this baptism we had today. New life, new vision, new nature. And that new nature gives us the capacity to to expand the boundaries of our love. In fact, we're called to not have boundaries to our love. So will we embrace that and tap into that? Tap into that nature as God gave it to us as his image bearers. We're called to do that as followers of his son. And by virtue of his unlimited love, he's the one who rescued you. Think about this. At one point, you were at a point of rebellion against him. And you came to realize that, but you were in an adversarial position to God, and yet he stretched out his arms and died for you. That alone mystifies me and haunts me. Let's pray together. I want us to enter into a discipline of meditation right now, and 
I want you just to get, <laughs> get down and honest here with God about some place in your own life where your love has boundaries. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to expand the boundaries of your love to where perhaps you have none. Who is someone whom you might not even give the term enemy, and yet they are someone whom you have struggled to love? It could be a certain group of people, a certain religious group, a certain social group, whatever it might be, or it might be an individual whom you know, someone whom you know quite well, someone whom you have struggled to love. Yes, forgive and even to love without condition. Will you take a minute and just confess whoever that is to God and pray to ask him to respect that confession, and not only that, but to ask that he would get you to a place where you can love that person or persons more fully. Could you do that for just a moment? might be someone or a group that you've really struggled to love for a long time and yet consider this as well that maybe by learning to love that person more it releases you lightens your yoke and it releases you from this grudge this vendetta in a sense that you might have it frees you to work more for the kingdom in an unbridled way an unlimited way this helps us to be better disciples for you. Help us to deal with it now. We confess to you that this is so much easier read executed, much more easier said than carried out, oh God, and yet we, we need your help with it. So remind us even now that your spirit is moving in and through us and, and challenging us just to, just to lift that burden of, of grudge, that burden of betrayal, that, that burden of, of adversarial position with someone, just, just lift that from us that we might be more of who you want us to be and be all the better for it. We confess that this is one of those commands that is difficult, difficult, difficult to follow through upon, and yet you call us to do it. So, Lord, help us to commit ourselves all the more to seeking out the movement of your Spirit in us that we might truly live in a way that shows other people that your love has no bounds and that no one, no human being is outside the reach of your grace. Even those people whom we struggle to love, they are not outside of your reach. And we are called to witness and testify to that by our words and our actions and our prayers. So help us to do that beginning now, oh God. We pray these things, oh God, in your loving name. 